So, Bokker Tov, welcome back. It is a pleasure to be learning together. Let's take our time together to spend a little bit of time focusing on, we're in, in the wide and wire of prayer, and we're focusing on the next step, which is Kriya Satora. This is not often focused on. When you think about davening, you don't think about Kriya Satora so much. You think about all the pieces that we say. It's worthwhile focusing on this very interesting institution, which we have not all the time, only some of the time, but it's worthwhile appreciating on its, on its own ground. So first of all, I want to take a moment to, to, to thank um, Rosemary and Erwin Fish, who are sponsoring today's shir. First, Ilan Nishmas, Moshe Mendel, Ben Menachem Nachum, and Yochevet Getzel. And also, Bar Lechaim Tovim, Tvor Refuah Shlema, for Mordechai Ben Tzipor Malka and Shendel Bas Rachel, Shnei Refuah Shlema Bekarav. So let's, let's start learning a lot of interesting things. Kriyasa Torah is so vast, it's so big, it's so, uh, it is so all-encompassing. There's a lot to talk about, to be honest, um, and um, so we certainly cannot, cannot cover it. And if you go through Shulchan Aruch, there are multiple simonim which just talk about a lot of the halachas. Balei Kriya, need to, need to know all these, the, the, these halachas, very complicated halachas. What happens if there are mistakes? How to, how, what, what posture are people standing in? All these complicated halachas are related to Kriya Satara. We're not going to go through all of those. Let's just get a, just a quick brief, a brief overview. One thing which is important to note about, note, notice is, there's something which uh, all Gabayim need to know. And in our shul, we have these institutions, which is what's called the halachas of Kadima. Who is who gets a who gets an aliyah, as an example? So, for instance, um, a, lo, a, a, a little while back, um, one of the Gabayim came with a question and said that there was somebody who had got mafzir on Shabbos, and then the, 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 their yard site was on Friday, and they and comes Thursday, and they said, "Well, I deserve a a, a, a aliyah tomorrow." Uh, today, because of today's Thursday, and I need, need an aliyah for tomorrow, because tomorrow is Friday, after all, I'm a chiv. So the guy said, but you got Mafti on Shabbos. He said, but that wasn't really a real aliyah, so I need, an, I need another one. Please ask the Kwanim to leave. <laughs> right? So that doesn't work like that. There's, there's rules, right? So how does that, how does that work? So there's a, few, there's a few steps in the, in, in the process. They have to know the, the steps in the process to appreciate it. So these are the rules actually in Arshul. These rules I, I just put in over here. Rabbi Taliban put these together. And they're excellent summary of the rules that work and operate in Arshul. They're more or less the same everywhere, but there are a few noteworthy perspectives. So the first thing is a person who is getting married. So we have Baruch Hashem, a young man in the Shul who's getting married today. But truth is, there's no, no Torah reading today, so that wouldn't help. But if he were to be, uh, he, to be getting um, married on the day of the actual wedding and there's Kriyasa Torah then, that's when that would happen. And then let's say you have a bar mitzvah, bar bayom. So a boy is turning 13 on that day, whether that be during the week or on Shabbos, that's the next step of Chiyuv. Um Then you have, let's say, um, a chasan um, on the Shabbos, the afrif, um, even, um, even if it is perhaps seven days before the chuppah or a bar mitzvah whose 13th day was in the past week. Okay, so let's say that's uh, the, 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 not all the time do bar mitzvahs fall on actual days itself. The bar mitzvahs actually fall on um, the pre- previous uh, previous days in the week, that would be fine. Then a husband who's um, of a Yoledet on the day that the Yoledet returns to Shul. This most people are not aware of. So let's say a couple of Mazel Tov have a baby, and the husband is in Shul. The, day, the first week his wife comes back to Shul, which could be multiple weeks later. That day he should get an Aliyah on, on her behalf as well. Um, let's say uh, uh, during the Shavu Brachas, if the Shavu Brachas took place on a or if the wedding took place on a Wednesday or Thursday, that is a also a chiyav. That's a, it's the later part of the week. There's a chiyav, a yardside by bayam, um, a father of a baby boy on the Shabbos uh, prior to the bris miller, and someone whose father's or mother's yardside occurs during the week. Notice that that's item number nine in the list, just out of interest. So people are very mackbit on that one, but there are a lot of things that come before that. 
So that means to say that sometimes people have to be understanding that they might not be able to always get that. But that is um, over there. And then there's, there's a chastel on the Shabbos after his wedding, if it was an earlier wedding in the week, and the father of a baby girl being named in the morning, and the father of a on the day of his son's afraf. So these are all very important things. We try to accommodate these things. So many of the gabayim and Ashur are trying to facilitate all of these things. But there are a, this is actually in a sequential list, which means to say, if you're item number 10 and somebody's item number 1, number 1 gets it, no matter how emotional and how connected it is. Um, to, so the, these are halachas. These, a lot of these halachas are not in front of one place. Some are in Shulchanach, some are in the Mishnah Burra, some are in the Bera Halacha, all the different places. Some are Dibre um, Kabbalah. There are a lot of interesting things. Now, what happens if there are multiple Chiyavim? There are different ways of navigating this. So if you look in the art scrolls back, on the back of the art scroll sitter, where there are halachas in the back section there, they have a shorter list than this. But they say, what happens if you have two people on the same level, and there's, uh, let's say it's a weekday, as an example, and there's only one Yisrael Aliyah. So one option is, and the, the art scroll uh, brings down a number of Pesca um, that one does a Goral, which means you put out a coin, right? And, and that's how it is, sorted out. It's, it's, fair is fair. That's what we're doing. What we do in our shul, and again, is, is we ask the Quran to leave if that's the situation. Now, not every time a person is a chiv, do they have to get an aliyah? It, there's a lot of schus which can be generated from just by being mevater, by saying it's all right not to create a hoo-ha. But um, nonetheless, um, if, if nobody's willing to back down, and everybody needs, needs to make sure they're getting the aliyah, and, and there's only one aliyah to be had, then one can ask the Quran to leave. Which reminds me of the, of the situation about a fellow who comes to the rabbi. And, um, and he says, Rabbi, I really would like to be a coin. The rabbi says, well, is your father a coin? No. Grandfather? No. He says, well, I'm sorry, that's not, no can do. So he says, but Rabbi, <laughs> Rabbi, you know, the building campaign and, you know, I, the cornerstone that I was donating, you know, I'm going to retract my funds. And so the rabbi says, yeah, I don't know. Let me think about it. I'll see if there's any, <laughs> anything we can do. So rabbi says, oh, you know what? We, maybe, you know, never. This is, this is such a terrible construction of a story because it, it makes certain assumptions about the way halacha works. But nonetheless, um, um, and so at the end of the day, the rabbi says, you know, I think we, we, we can make a, make a rule that you can, you can serve as a coin. And so the man is so excited, he goes to shul the next Shabbos, and he's visiting in, 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 in another city, and the, the, and, and the, and the, the gabai says, are there any coin in the house? And he excitedly puts up two hands, and the, and the gabai says, he says, we have three, three shower brachas as an offer of, can you please leave? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, so you have, to, you know, you have to be in the right place at the right time. Now, so that, that's in terms of that. So, yeah. yeah. Is there a requirement that you get, and I'm saying I know you're a priority, but does it mean you should be getting an aliyah? No, you, 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 so that's a good question. That's a good question. There, there's, there's a chiyot to get an aliyah, but it's, you know, uh, uh, the chiyot in a certain sense is a good question. It's a good question. If, let's, say, let's say you have the option and you weigh that right. I, you know, uh, I, it's a good question. I would say that, that if there's going to be a situation where it comes down to a conflict and... Uh, and you are, you are part of the reason for that conflict, it would probably be a bad idea to be moved out to such a situation. You have priority, but you know, yeah. someone else is more motivated, you say, no, you can have it. Can you do that? Are, you certainly can. There are multiple ways of, of creating, creating uh, more Kedusha in this world, creating alias Neshama. There are multiple ways, and sometimes, you know, it can also be getting into Shabbos Mincha. It could be, there's, there's other options as to how this can work. And we, also, in our shul, we have multiple minyanim, right? So if you don't get an aliyah here, you can get, there's other ways to navigate these situations as well. Yeah, Nachman. The calling, uh, if you're already embarrassed and to ask to be Mubat, is his cover, first of all, why, why can't he stay in there then? If you ask him to embarrass him, uh, no, no, no. It's a good question. So there's a, this is a question of yichus. So like this, if the coin remains in the room 
and you say Yamod, you know Avram ben Yisak Birshus It's still there, there. There, there are there is a certain impression that that you may be questioning the genealogy of that coin, and so that's a very that's a very big concern. And even if you say perhaps a word like that, people are going to walk out and say, you know, you know, he, he thought he was a coin, but obviously the community doesn't, and that impression is a, is a, is something we want to avoid. People, if there's something that can be taken out of context, it will be taken out of context, and that's what will happen. So we're very macabre that way, so that when the actual calling up is happening, it's not it's not in the room. Um, what happens? What about the kel moles? So. Um, interestingly enough, these also again from the from actual rules. Uh, Kelmoli can be say it can be said on a day that Tachanun is um, is said. Um, so, but um, if it's not said, um, let's say there's a there's a there's a bris a chasan, right? You can still say it. I mean, that's a personal simcha. That's not an eclipse of it. Let's say like a Rosh Chodesh as an example, where you wouldn't be able to say it as well. Um, and we usually today we usually do Kelmoles for men and women separately. And we do groups, grouped kelmoles. So otherwise, you can imagine what Shabbos Mincha would look like, right? So, so it's we we do gr- uh, all the men in one group, all the women in one group, and that's what we do kelmoles. And it follows the general rule of tachanun rather than the specific rule of a simcha going on. Okay, so if there's a specific simcha, you can still say kelmole. If it's a general eclipse, then you can't as well. Um, so, we, just in terms of the hagomel, we also have as part of the kriyasatari, we have the hagomel. It is said immediately following the aliyah. Um, so unless it is the time when you need to say the Kaddish, right? So let's say it's after Shlishi, it's after Shvi on Shabbos, then we'll wait until afterwards as well. When do we say, when does the Chatsi Kaddish said after the Kriyasa Torah? We say that after Kriyasa Torah on Monday and Thursday and on Shabbos morning, but not on Shabbos Mincha. So um, um, it, is, it is said by the, either the Baal Kore or a Chiyo. This is actually an interesting question which has arrived in our shul a number of times, is that let's say you have on the Bima, uh, a, uh, a, the, the Baal Kore, and then you have an Ole, person who, who just got the third Aliyah for argument's sake, and then you have a, an Avel sitting in this, uh, on the side. So do you call the Avel up to do that Chatsi Kaddish? Turns out actually there are different traditions about this. There are, there are two distinct traditions. In fact, there were two traditions as to what Rav Soloveitchik used to do in Boston, in fact, just to appreciate, um, even, even, even recently. Um, generally speaking, the rule and, uh, that we, are, we have adopted in our shul is that if either one of the people who are actually at the bimah are Avelim, we give it to them. If not, we default to the Baal Kari, but we don't go to find a Baal. It's not specifically a Kaddish for a mourner to go out of the way to pull a mourner in. That's the rule which, which happens, which sometimes have, uh, this question does sometimes come up in our shul. Um, how is the Torah conveyed to the Bema? We're going to take a look at this in Halacha, but it's conveyed through the quickest route. If not the quickest route, through the rightmost side. So that means to say we take off the Bema from the, right, from the right-hand side um, and then move our way up to the Bema on the right-hand side facing the Bema. Um, and um, what, what should a person do if the Torah is coming towards them? So a person is, is the, the kissing isn't actually mentioned. It's more about actually if a, if a man's in the men's section to walk along with it, to escort it just a little bit as well. So one is showing that one is doing the yeah. Isn't, uh, if someone's uh, older for an Ali, you should take the quickest route also? Same as we'll get that in a second, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's very similar, very similar. Yeah, I want to just take a look at that inside when we get a, ch- a chance to. And Kel Erech Most people are not aware of that this does not follow the same rule as Tachanon. We automatically assume that there's no Tachanon. We, that, that, pra- that paragraph before the, 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 the Kriyasa Torah, Kel Erech we also don't say not true. It actually follows a different set of rules. So it, it is said when there's a chasen moel bris or aval neshul, even though tachanun is not said. That's all a mistake that many people make, is that let's say we have a bris. Baruch Hashem, we had a bris last Thursday in shul, right? 
So you don't say Tachrin, but you would say Kel, kel We'll see why we say it in a second and why it follows different rules. Um, it, is, it is recited in the month of Nisan, like Bahamian, six days following Shavuos, Tuba uh, Av, and between Yom Kippur, um, Yom Kippur and Sukkot and Archesuk, uh, and Archesuk is even though there is no Tachrin, just to put that paragraph there. And is not said in Rosh Kodesh, Ere Pesach, Cholamoid, Chanukah, Purim, Shushan Purim, um, the 14th and 15th of Adar Rishon. Okay, so just, uh, you know, just to appreciate some of the pieces. Now let's get dive into the actual, the whys. So first of all, is Kriyat Torah operates on its own rules. It does not operate like Tefillah. It's not the same words as Tefillah. Uh, it, it has its own unique state, um, place and model. So just to go back. How far back does this go? Well, we see multiple times in Jewish history where Kriyas Torah, reading the Torah, was a sig- significant piece, a significant part of, um, of, our, of our history. So as an example, when Moshe Rabbeinu finishes, he receives the Torah at Har Sinai, the end of Pashas Mishpatim. What is the first thing he does? We're told in, 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 in Source 1, Vayikach Sefer Abris, he takes the Book of the Covenant, When did people say Na'asev Nishma? When he read them the Torah. So you say, well, it wasn't Nasev and Ishma without any, pre, any, any preconceived notions. Yeah, well, they didn't know all the company, Torah Shaval Peh and so on, but they listened to the Torah being read. How much of the Torah did he have then is a debate in the Gemara and Gittin. Was the Torah Nitna or Megillah Megillah Nitna? Was it given in pieces as history unfolded or was it given in one long section? A matter of debate. But whatever they did, Moshe Rabbeinu did have, he read the Sefer Abris, the contract, right? So he read the contract to them and they said, Nasev and will take it all. No fine print read ne- reading necessary. So that, that's, that, that was the first thing. The first public reading of Torah was Moshe Rabbeinu to the nation of Israel. Fast forward a little bit of, of time, HaKosh Baruch Hu memorializes that reading by making a mitzvah, which is going to happen. And that was mitzvah, albeit is a little bit infrequent in the sense that it happens only once every seven years. But in Parashas, Nitzavim, the Torah tells us in Perek Lamed Aleph in Devarim, HaKel Esa Om HaNashim HaNashim HaTaf V'Gerach HaShem Bisharecha L'man Yishmu L'man Yilmedu L'Yaru Esa Shem Elokeichem V'Shom L'Asos Kizkod Re'a Torah Azos The Torah tells us that you're supposed to read it every seven years. When is the seven years to be done? When is this the mitzvah? Sukkos of? Post Shemitah, which means to say that if it would be this year. This year's Sukkot would be the time of Hakel. It's the year coming out of Shemitah um, uh, as, as the, uh, just after the Yom Tov, the first day of Sukkot. There would be this great gathering here by the base of Midash and the king would read the, 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 the um, Sefer Torah. We see this uh, happening a number of times at crucial moments in Jewish history where this, there were a Kriyasa Torah, where this public reading of the Torah was done. So as an example, in the times of Yehoshaphat, Yehoshaphat had to do a lot of fixing up of some of the, the ills of his, uh, his predecessors. And so one of the things that Yehoshaphat does, Yehoshaphat was a remarkable king. Look at the times of Ahav and his son. And although he was criticized for his trying to bridge with the, the, the southern kingdom, sorry, the northern kingdom, he, one of the things he did was, So he didn't even search going off to the Pekanite not like the northern kingdom. So what did he do? <clears throat> he took a look at Pazog Zion, skipping to Zion. He sent out his emissaries to go teach in the cities of Judea. Uh, what do they do? 
They went out and they taught the Torah itself. So they carried the Torah. They didn't have Gomorrah. There was no Gomorrah in those days. They took the Torah itself and they went to every city and they made public readings. This was the way they reformed society, is reminding people of what the contract was. You said, now nah, so let's remind ourselves what's actually in here as well. That would be the way they would convey Torah. Later on, in the times of Yoshia Melech, Yoshia Melech, the Torah, the Torah, the Tanakh tells us, is the king who reformed Israel like no other king in the, in the, in the past or in the future of Israel. What did he do? What was one of the things he did? He found this Torah that was given at the times of Chilkiah, the coin was doing renovations. And the Basinish found this old Torah, which tradition tells us was in times of Moshe Rabbeinu. And what did he do? He gathered it together. You read the whole Torah. And then he said, by the way, now you saw what's written in here. Let me tell you a few rules that we're going to make. <laughs> so says, now that you know what's in here. So that whole business of Orozara, goodbye. So that's, he used that as the platform for... His further, his further regulations in society. And later on, famously, at the beginning of the second base of Mikdash, times of Zechariah, Ezra, and Nehemiah, we know famously Ezra is the spiritual leader, Nehemiah is the, is the governor. They come together on, and on Rosh Hashanah, they do this public reading of the Torah. We hear about it in, in Source 5. They come to the gate in front of the Sharamayim of the base of Mikdash. And he brings us this, 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 this Torah, it's the first of the seventh month, and he reads it in front of all of them, and everybody is completely bowled over there. They are so taken by this, and he starts weeping, and then they say, don't weep today, it's a holy day, it's a happy day. He sends everybody home, they come back, and then they start making reforms in society. So throughout the course of Jewish history, this is many, many, this is many years later, over a century later than Yoshiyos. So throughout the course of, of Jewish history, this has become the way to teach, to reform, to change society is reading the Torah. But at this point in time, it's clearly not regulated. This was done when the king felt it was appropriate. Hakel was regulated, but these other episodes were a Hakel-esque type of uh, practice, but we don't see necessarily on a day-to-day -day basis. So the place we go for this is a very famous Gomorrah in Babakawa, Daf Pei Bezabal Aleph. The Gomorrah is te telling us about a number of things that Ezra HaSofer did. He instituted in society that he felt would be better for society. Who was Ezra HaSofer? Ezra lived, again, we just saw this talking about Ezra. He was one of the last of the Nevi'im or part of the Edoviem, he was one who convened, essentially, Anshay Knesset Agdola, the man of the Great Assembly, and he lived at the beginning of the second base. Midrash was sent as a second wave of Aliyah from the Persian king, with, a, with, the, with the license to go back and rebuild the spiritual community in Israel. Not a lot of people came with him, but he was able to, uh, to, to make incredible changes. Ezra, Ezra made huge changes. He instituted the Siddur as part of Anshay Knesset Agdola, which is what we're learning about. He changed the Ksav, the actual script of the Torah, as to what we have today to Ksav Ashuris as opposed to Ksav Ivri. A lot of amazing things that Ezra HaSofer did. The Gemara says he was so great that if, it, if he had been in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu, he would have been chosen to give the Torah more than Moshe Rabbeinu. So he's a very, very, very powerful individual. But the Torah tells us that he made a number of Takonas. He made lots of institutions and regulations. He was one of the, I would call, proto-halachic uh, proto entities in, in Israel. He started making rules about how to, how to abide by. So the Gemara tells us 10 things that he did. Um, we're going to focus on the first one. In Source 6, Asara Takonos is taken Ezra. There were 10 things that Ezra instituted in society. And the number one is Shekorim Bemincha Beshabbos Shekorim Beshen Vichamishi. That you read Torah on Shabbos afternoon and that you read on, a, um, on, on, on Monday and Thursdays. So that was his Takona, that was his institution. Skipping down to the, the next line. So the, the Gemara says, Shiyu Korim Bemincha Beshabbos Mishum Yoshve Karanos. 
right? That's not related to Corona, but uh, we, this is that he's, he's sitting, people who are Yoshua Coronas. What does that mean? People who are in the bar, you know, they've got other things to be doing. So what, what, what is it? When are they sitting in the bar that he's, he's fixing this up? So, so there's two ways of reading this. You could say maybe it is, is that it could be that it refers to the, the Rashi says that it's referring to people who are on Monday and Thursday aren't around, right? They're AOL on Monday and Thursday. So Shabbos is the only time. So Misho Yoshua Kronos, therefore they would do the Kriyasa Torah on a Shabbos afternoon. But another way of saying it is maybe on Shabbos afternoon. It was, a, it was, a, it was a, perhaps a, long, a longer afternoon than necessary. But um, perhaps this is one of the reasons I've actually, uh, I, I saw that we say at the beginning of the on Mincha, meaning what I need to feel meaning to say, I am not Yoshua Kronos, right? So the reason we put that pasuk in specifically at Mincha is to say that I've decided to make a spiritual space in my life right now and hear the words of the Torah and not because of other times uh, you're, you're defining yourself by, by this moment in, in Tvila. Yes, Paul. But clearly... Reading the Torah on Shabbos morning was really firmly established. Correct. So clearly, reading the Torah on Shabbos morning is there. The question now becomes is, is what, what about these? But the Gomorrah actually questions that further. The Gomorrah says, wait a second, Ezra, Ezra was the first one to, you know, discover America, so to speak. He was the first one to, 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 to figure this out. The Gomorrah says, Surely this is, already, this is already extant. This, is, this custom was already there. The Tanya, the Gomorrah tells us, In a bride of Ayahu, Shloshes Yom Ibamidbar Veloi Matsumayim, they, they, they went for three days in the desert and didn't find out of water. Where's this? Shmois Tesla, what, what's happening there? This is right after Kriyas Yamsov. They found a place called Mara. Right? Vedorshe Rishimos Amru. Ein Mayim Ela Torah. Shnemar Hoi Kotsameva Lukulamayim. The Pasuk in Shayao that this refers to not finding not just water, but actually Torah itself. Kevon Shaul, who shall remember below Torah. Nil U. Because of the, 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 the three days without. Torah, this, this was a time when they became weak. So the prophets then, that means to say the times of Moshe Rabbeinu, already said you shouldn't go three days without water, with meaning Torah, spiritual nurture. And therefore, that's why it's set up in a way with seven days. In the seven-day cycle, you'll never have three days without Torah. So it'll be, it'll go Shabbos, skip Sunday to Monday, then skip Tuesday, Wednesday, then Thursday, then skip Friday, then Shabbos. You'll never have a time where you'll ever be without the learning of Torah. Understanding that, of course, reading the Torah is an, 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 to be understood as learning of Torah. This is supposed to be a time we're thinking about, processing, absorbing what's being said to us. So therefore, if that's the case, that means to say that that minag came really all the way far back. It came all the way back from the times of Moshe Rabbeinu, when the people were without water for this time. So the Gemara answers at the top of the name uh, is Meikara, Tiknu Chad Gavra Tlosa Psuki. At the beginning, it was one person who read three Psukim. That was the original custom. Inami Tlosa Gavri Tlosa Psuki, or perhaps three people getting one Pasuk each. Keneged Kwanim and Avion Yisraelim. Also, who Vitikan Tlosa Gavri Asara Psuki, Keneged Asara Badlonim. So he said that there should be ten Psukim read at every Christor at the very least, and there should be three people getting alias. So Ezra, in a certain sense, formalized that tradition before it was a little more uh, vague. And, the, uh, and he formalized it into what we have today with some of the rules that we have today. And that's what Ezra did. So yes, the custom came from before. And just interesting observa observation that Rav Yaakov Kabanetsky has on this Gemara, which I thought is a very fascinating thing, is he says like this. Look, like, like the B'nai Israel just, you know, first of all, the, this, this whole drasha about the water, the Torah, you know, it, it's not the most, we'll, we'll call it intuitive drasha, you know, to sort of say, oh, because they're looking for water in the desert, that's why we have Kriyasa Torah on Monday and Thursdays. Right? That doesn't, that's not the first thing we'd think of. 
Uh, number two is, is that, like, you have to ask the question like this. B'nai Israel just walked out of the sea. So they see that God is certainly God. What, what is under God's control? Water, right? Look what he does with water. He can do anything with water. And then three days later, what do people say? <laughs> They're saying, what about water? So that's, that's a bit of, you know, anything else. Complain about the food, the air conditioning. But the water, he's got the water covered. Why are you complaining about water? So, so Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky says, the, the, the Nevi'im Shebenei, and the Darshay Rushumos, the, the, I understood, what the Nevi'im uh, among them realized is that's the amount of time it takes for a euphoric experience to dissipate. <clears throat> Meaning to say, we can go through amazing things, we can go through these unbelievable epiphanies in life, and it has this unbelievable impact on us, and three days later we can wake up and then complain about the temperature. Right, we can still, we can forget the impact of that experience. That's, that's what this, the, this episode shows. They said, if that's the case, then certainly when we're going to get the Torah, the same thing's going to happen as well. We're going to get the Torah, it's going to be amazing and incredible, these ideas, and we're going to live this idea of moral, moral compass life, and then three days later, we're going to just be start complaining again. So they said, if that's how short it takes for that experience to dissipate, then we need to ensure that the experience continues. And if the, the gap that we learned from the water experience was three days, we need to ensure that it continues. That's what Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky says about this Gomorrah. Miracles, big, big stages don't change anybody's lives. They, they lift us up for a few seconds, but that dissipates very clear. They disappear with a, with a suntan. Right? That's how, that's how it works. And that's what the, 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 the Gomorrah was saying. Um, was saying, oh, yeah, that's where they learned it from. That's in fact what the Ramban says. Why it is that we say, Zechari Yasef Mitzrayim, and so many things, so many, so many mitzvahs that we do on Kirish, on Shabbos, on Tefillin, on Tzitzis, there's so many things, Zechari Yasef Mitzrayim. Why is Exodus so important? Says the Ramban, because God does not, you know, jump to every time anybody says, you know, God, if you were to appear in my life, you know, I would suddenly change my lifestyles. <laughs> Hashem says, sorry, I don't do tap dancing for you. So, so, so I'm going to do it one time in history. I'm going to show you how in, I'm in charge of the world. I'll put it all apart. I'll put it all back together for you. And you're going to remember it. Right? So, Zechariah says, is a way of remembering the times that HaKadosh Baruch Hu stepped out of the, um, of, from behind the veil. So, that's also part of it, is that we need to ensure that that memory continues. And the part of the memory continuing is the, the Zechariah says, John, yeah. Three days. It uh, strikes me also by uh, uh, Abram's risk that the Malachim came on the third day because that was the day of, for him the greatest suffering. The, the, the time period of three days has some overarching meaning, not simply from the point of view of memory. It could be, but it just uh, there wasn't all the Gemara's focusing on. Because remember, the, what the Gemara is saying is something, something's disappearing then. I'll give you a, a, a crazy story. If you want to hear a crazy story, just to, I, I wasn't going to mention this, but yes, this, is, this is a crazy story that happened. Um, this, is, this, is, this is actually written in the footnote of Rav Yosef Yehuda Bloch, Bloch in the Shari Eshire Das. He writes in the footnote, he was the in hotels. And he writes in, 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 a, in an essay called Nisim Viteva, he writes the following footnote, this happened to him. So, okay, we just brace ourselves. This, I mentioned this a number of years ago, it's a very intense, a very intense story. Um, so, he's, uh, so he writes that there was a, uh, there, there was a city, um, a little village, in the year Tafresh Samech Vav. So this is over a century ago, um, when he was in a place called Shadava. So that was uh, the, the, the little village that he was in. And there was a, a situation that happened in the city called Shadava where, um, where there was a young Jewish man who was a university student who was renting a room, in an upstairs room in a particular apartment. And so he was going through difficult times in his own life. And Rahman al-Litzan, he, he committed suicide. He killed himself. And um, terrible, terrible situation. And, uh, you know, things were taken care of. He was buried, the whole business. 
and the, the the person who was who was renting who who owned the the house that the owned the house and he was renting an upstairs a, 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 a bedroom um, had this after the 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 the, the period of shiva question about shiva but the, after the period of shiva noticed that every night at ten o'clock there would be like a sound like sort of sounds from upstairs. So you'd go upstairs and you'd come upstairs and you'd find that the the uh, the the plaster from the ceiling, were like was falling down onto the onto the floor. So he cleaned it up and you know figured you know, buildings buildings have their time. But the next night at ten o'clock at the same time the same thing. He noticed the sound and the the plaster from the ceiling was falling down, and uh, and this became a thing. Every night at ten o'clock on 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 the on the on the clock. There would be the the plaster ceiling would start to, to, to fall into the floor, and people came, people would come and they would witness this, and it would just carry on going um, every night. So they came, finally came. They finally figured out maybe this is something we should speak to the rabbi about. <laughs> so they asked the rabbi. They asked Rav 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 Yosef Yehuda Bloch, based in. They said to him, "What's what's going on?" So he says, "Look, I don't know what's happening over here, but I will tell you something: is that it's pro- probably there's something." There's something which is wrong here, and that is when he took his life, he probably some of the blood probably is went onto the floorboards, and it's and it needs to be like you know with zaka, it needs to be buried, it needs to be buried. There's something seeking restitution here, so that uh, he says I would suggest taking up the floor, taking up the floorboards and burying the floorboards with them, and that'd be fine. That's what they did, and they they buried the floorboards. They t- took up the floorboards, replaced the floor, buried it with this, this uh, unfortunate individual, um, and the next night at 10 o'clock there was nothing. And so he says, why am, I recording this? why am I recording this story? He says, because I want to tell you the change it made in town. He says, I want to tell you what happened in Shadava after this. He says, everybody kept on doing what they carried on doing. It remained the same town. Nobody changed their life. Nobody, was, nobody came to Davening extra early. No, no, nobody started learning extra. He says, because he says, and this is the beginning of his essay on Nisim Ateva. He says, because miracles don't change people. That's, that, that was his point. And he wanted to say this is that you can have anything happening. In the end of the day, it just it dissipates afterwards. And that's what that's what they were saying. That's why they instituted Kriyasatari is because they, because it's understood that the only way that we really change is consistency, not because of big moments. This is a, clearly a miracle, right? And he witnessed this, but nonetheless, it didn't, didn't change people. Let's go a little further into 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 this topic. The, I do will will I will just venture an interesting observation, which is that there is an interesting later Achronish Sefer, which does say that there is a minag to go to the mikveh on Mondays and Thursdays because of <laughs> taking the Gomorrah a little more literally, but nonetheless, that's not that's not necessarily common practice, but it is worthwhile knowing based on this Gomorrah that they took the water literally as well. Nonetheless, okay. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing about, about this, and this is such an important point to appreciate in this. If there's anything else that, if, that, that, that anybody walks out with today, this point is the most, I think, significant piece to, to think about. This is what Rabbi Sachs says, the beginning of his introduction to Kriyasatora in the Koran Sachs Siddur. I think it's such an unbelievably important point to appreciate. And he says, the synagogue thus became not only a house of prayer through the Kriyasatora, but also a house of study. You understand what the, the, the shift there? What, what's the difference? The result of the, uh, is a dynamic tension between speaking and listening. In prayer, we speak to God. Hashem, please. Hashem, thank you. Hashem, you're, you're, you're the, the greatest. In study, we listen to God speaking to us. His word unchanged and undiminished across the centuries. That is the most critical observation here. Which means that there's a shift in the dialogue when it comes to Kriya Satara. Now, for some people, there's one continued dialogue <laughs> with their neighbor. But that's not the way, in terms, of, in terms of the way that davening is working, we're moving our voice upwards 
and then Hashem's voice is coming downwards. If you think about the direction of conversation is shifted, right? That's what's happening in, in, in Davening now. The assembly convened by Ezra, when the Torah was not only read but explained, because remember when Ezra read the Torah, actually they, they, they actually translated it into the language of the folks in the street who couldn't understand all the Hebrew. Became the model for educational activities within the synagogue, of which the drash or sermon, or more precisely exposition, darash, darash to expose, expound, is only one of the many forms. To uh, an unparalleled decree, a degree, Judaism is predicated on universal <coughs> literacy and lifelong learning. Everybody has a chelik in Torah. The Torah is not written on parchment, it is meant to be engraved on the Jewish soul. That is what the Kriyas Torah is supposed to be. It's such a beautiful observation as to, and that's why we're in a shul now, we're learning Torah right now. That's what it's meant to be. That's an expansion of that Kriya Satara, which was the institution. So obviously, the 3,334 years ago, it's still working. That's amazing. We're still part of, of one of the most incredible programs that is still working. Let's, uh, let's do a few, a few questions. Remember, uh, remember it says that the, the Gemara said that it, it needs to be Ezra formalized, that it's 10 Psukim and 3 Aliyahs. Now, it would have been, if, if the idea was that every Aliyah needs to be 3, you'd end up with... Nine psukim. So why ten psukim? The Gemara says Kenegat Asarabatlan. There should be the ten basic people, so to speak, running the community. But um, the another understanding, which I saw in the Sefer Talmud is because ten is an important number when it comes to creating a space for kedusha. We see this a number of things. Davar Shabbat kedusha. We have the idea of having a minion. So the same idea, there's almost a minion of Psukim in order for the Sefer, the Kriyas Torah. With one exception. When is that one exception? We read the Torah and there's not ten psukim. On Purim. Right, so we read on Purim morning, and in fact, we read the last section in Bashalach, and it happens to be there's only nine psukim there, so we read three, three, three. Three, ali, uh, three aliyahs each. So you say, well, why, why of this? Well, the answer is, well, there only are nine psukim. But why don't we fix it? Why don't we repeat a pasuk? Why don't we do something into an able that there's ten psukim like we do elsewhere every other time of the year? And the answer to that is, is because, it says, it says the Sefer Tami Menihagim, is because what did Amalek do to Hashem? Is he decreased HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence in the world? Ki Yad al Hashem's name is not complete, His throne is not complete in the world. So therefore also, the Kedusha at the Kriyasa Torah about Amalek is also incomplete. So we just don't have, we're not fixing that. It's an acknowledgement, it's a nod to what Amalek is really doing in the world, which is why there's nine Psukim there as well. Let's move, yes, Shalom. Could you walk through the following display show us why you would have nine Psukim here? Because usually you have a dynamic between the Torah reading and what comes afterwards. Torah reading is the primary, and what comes afterwards is the secondary. But in this oh, case, yeah, Megillah Esther. Good question. Because really, we're really there for, for really there for, for Megillah reading. The Torah reading is sort of it's almost like an agav urucha. Yeah, you know, uh, it, it, it's a beautiful idea. I, I don't know because you have to remember if the Takana of the Kriyas Torah. In, uh, I'm not showing by Purim, but well, is no, earlier, no, is earlier, no, and no, then but, but the Purim oh Purim, yes, Purim yeah, you're right. Morning, you're, you're really you're right. there. The Torah is really a. It's a Both are on Good, good. You're right. And so the primary is actually the Megillah system. Very good point. And that's the really where we talk about everything. So there's much more. Maybe a differentiation because it's less of a significance. <laughs> very, very possible. Just one, one interesting observation here, which is, is that this three pasuk business is also important when it comes to mistakes. Very complicated. Why does you find a mistake in the Torah? And the mistake is a justified mistake. So it actually is printed incorrectly. God forbid. Right? Which is very, very hard to, to get today. today. Thank God we have unbelievable mechanisms. We have a beautiful sofrim today. And we have Torah checks. We have, we have computer checks for Torahs. Every Torah that we have is double-checked by a computer and, you know, double-checked by a sofrim. We have, it's very hard to do. But let's say all this historian, which are slowly, unfortunately, the ink is slowly, you know, over a hundred years, the ink starts to dissipate and so on. Let's say a mistake is found in the Torah. So it's complicated. Do you go back? Do you, when you switch Torahs, when you switch Torahs, you say a new bracha. There's a lot of halachas. One of the interesting halachas is worthwhile knowing is about where you start from. 
So part of the halacha might depend on where the mistake is found. If the mistake is found within three sukkim of the end of the aliyah, that's a place you can't start from in the new Torah. You would have to you, you would have to finish up the paragraph and then go to the new Torah. The three psukim is a very important uh, we'll call it framework when it comes to this. Let's go a little further. The kel We say kel before, and we see we saw in halacha uh, summarized beforehand that it doesn't operate on the same rules of tachron, right? It doesn't get, get disappear as, as frequently as tachron does. So on a bris day we'll be saying kel but we won't be saying tachron. Where does Keller Achapayim come from? It's a very early Tvila, actually, and this is a much earlier Tvila. And why is it that we say it? So Rav Hirsch offers a beautiful observation. Here's what he says when it comes to this. And every time we do Keller Achapayim, we should think about this, this observation. Here, here's his observation that Rav Hirsch said. He says, when, starting four, four lines in on the line, when on these days we ascend to the Ark to bring down into our midst the book of God's law for public reading, we realize that if we measure our, our worth by the standard of God's will as set down in this book, we must admit that we are wanting and that we are unworthy even to take the Torah into our hands. Indeed, we cannot help sensing that we are hardly even worthy to live on as its bearers. Thus, aware of in our inadequacy and unworthiness, we utter the words, which, before we go up to the open the Ark of the Law, on those days of particular self-examination, we appeal to the grace of God, who is slow to anger and ready at all times to grant forgiveness. So it is our prerequisite. It is our acknowledging of our, our lack of ability to be able to really live up to what we are. I mean, if you think about it, what, what we're essentially doing is reading all the ideals and values, and then we're going to carry on with our lives. And sometimes there's a gap between the ideals and values and the life that we lead. And so that, that, that is something which is rather humiliating. So in the first that we say, who is slow of anger, Kodesh Baruch Hu's understanding of the human condition before we read the law of the Torah. That's a very important perspective, and that's being said every time we say before we go into that. That's a beautiful, beautiful observation, which is why it operates separately. There are two nuschos, you'll notice, right? They go back, that's not just Eastern Europe, it goes back even the Avudraham. The Avudraham is about 700 years ago, Abby? About uh, how many, uh, Abby? How many years ago is the Abu Draham of seven, 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 seven hundred, six hundred years ago? He already acknowledges both these nuschos as two, two very nuschos of it, whether we put the rachamim first or not. But nonetheless, be it, be it as it may, it, uh, uh, we, we have these two versions of Ka'el Ar-Khapayim as a prerequisite to the Torah. Yes, Nachman. Why do you repeat the third Pasuk in Anush Oh, good. So that's, that's a three-Pasuk issue as well. We cannot start an aliyah within three Pasukim of the end of the paragraph. Right, so we need four aliyahs because the, the Mishnah tells us in Megillah that on Rosh Chodesh, the way the aliyahs work is, the most basic framework is three aliyahs, right, that's a Chol day. Then when you go up in Kedusha to Rosh Chodesh, then we have a fourth aliyah. When you go up in Kedusha to Yom Tov, we have five aliyahs. When you go up in Kedusha to, we, on, to Yom Kippur, we have six aliyahs. And on Shabbos, we have seven aliyahs, right, that's the way it's, it's, it's framed. But on Rosh, Rosh Chodesh, we need to have four aliyahs. But the problem is, is that how do you divide the aliyahs up, right? So we do make a split of the aliyah in the middle of the first paragraph, but you can't you can't start the second aliyah to two psukim from the end of the paragraph. So we reverse that back one pasuk as well. Most people don't even notice that, that we're repeating that pasuk and aliyah because to, to enable that. So we have a three pasuk aliyah, so it's not starting in that place. That's, that's part of the reason. Now you could suggest other ways. Maybe you could divide the last paragraph, perhaps, but it seems to be that that last paragraph is the actual central place where it talks about the karbanas. The first part is the karban, to, the, 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 the olas tamid, and the, and the, um, and then, then of Yom HaShabbos. The main paragraph actually about Rosh Chodesh is the last paragraph, which is perhaps where we're less, less willing to divide up to get those folias. That's why we're doing it uh, over there. That's a good point, because that's an example where we do a repetition to, in, to enable this. Um, when we take out the Torah, there are a lot of extra psukim we say on Shabbos even more. But one thing which is worthwhile noting is that the, the primary psukim which surround the Sefer Torah coming in and out 
are by Yibin Sa'aran, of course. And then when you put it away, and the reason why that's significant is because those two psukim form their own paragraph in the Torah. We just read in Parshas Ba'aloischa. Those two are, are bracketed off in the Torah, literally are talking about how the Aaron would travel, which makes a lot of sense then if you think about it, because what we're doing is, is as the Aaron travels, in a certain sense, the Torah travels out to us, we say Vahib in Sa'a. As we put it back, we say Those two psukim frame our learning of the Torah, our, 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 our public reading of the Torah. Here it gets, but it goes further than that. The way that Rav Hirsch frames it in the next uh, paragraph, and we're skipping most of it, I'd say starting about li line 10, the first on the line is of there. He says, first the word of God goes about among men, subduing the enemies and haters of the divine and causing them to withdraw. That's Futsu Oivecha. Oivecha doesn't mean to say those who are only attacking Jews, but those who are attacking the ideas that are found in, this, in, the, in the Torah. So then... With victory won, the word of God gently takes up its permanent abode in the midst of mankind. Nucha means rest, right? So it comes out, the Torah comes out to change the world and those who are at odds or adverse to the ideas of the Torah. And then it goes back. That's what we're supposed to be doing every time we bring out the Torah. It's supposed to be changed. It's counter-cultural to the experience. We just want to live a regular Monday morning and a week ahead. What do we do? We bring out a Torah and we try to reform the world. And then as the Torah recedes, in rest, it goes back. That's how the Torah reading is framed. We're, the next, we do have an interesting thing, just for a whole second, because I want to get a little ground over here. The, the, we, now, we do say this paragraph called Brich Shemei. Brich Shemei's source is, where does it come from? The Zohar in Parshas Vayakel. Why do we take a Zohar in Parshas Vayakel before we read the, re, read the, uh, the, the Torah? Because if you read the, the, the earlier paragraph in the Zohar, it says that when you open up the Aaron, the Shari Shomayim are open, it's the time of Rachamim, and you should say this prayer. So if the Zohar says you should say this prayer, it's probably a good idea to say the prayer. That's, the, that's what the Zohar says, which is why, I mean, the Zohar itself recommends doing this. We just don't read the instructions, we just read the actual prayer itself. Very beautiful thing, it should be read. In fact, it should be read in English if you don't understand it in Aramaic. In fact, in the Ottoman Empire, in a number of communities, the, it was read in Spanish, in Ladino. Because to understand what, what, what it meant. It's worthwhile understanding what's being said over there. There are, there are some people spread around for the 1500s uh, prolifically across the Jewish, uh, the Jewish culture to, to the extent that most Siddurim today have it. However, it's worthwhile knowing that there are a number of communities that did not say it. One, one set of communities were, was concerned about it specifically because it is from the Zohar. They are the more rationalistic side of Judaism was not so excited about all these Kabbalistic teachings in Shul for, for the proletariats. And so there, it, was not, it was not adopted in all communities. Although today it seems that that battle has been lost. There are other there are other hesitations for the for Brich Shmei. One 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 hesitation is is the is the phrase Ana I am the servant of God. Really? <laughs> you think you're the servant of God? Reminds me of the fellow who comes into Shul, you know, comes into into Navardok and, and he comes in the back of the shul and he sees on the Mizrach Vant, you know, there's the Rosh Shiva and the, uh, who's who's beating his chest, uh, you know, ich bin an, uh, a Gornish, I'm a nothing, I'm a zero, I'm a FS, I'm a, and there's the Mashkirk who's going at it. And so he, he, he thinks, oh, this must be the Menagin time. So he, he walks over and he starts, you know, clapping his chest, and I'm a nothing, I'm a half of an Afer and the whole business. And one of the Bokram says, look, I came in here five minutes ago and he was already calling himself a nothing. <laughs> what do you think? You think, I'm a God, I'm your servant, really? Why, what have you done recently to show that you're your servant? So, so how, how, do you, how do you think you have the coattails to be able to say that you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a servant? So there have been hesitations in, the, in that respect, but nonetheless, it's a very beautiful prayer, but it's worthwhile understanding what's actually being said over here. And uh, um, in, in, in honesty, I think that most people have unbelievably fast lips, lips because they say it much farther than, faster than I can possibly, possibly say it or process it, but you can still carry on saying it afterwards, a little secret as the Torah is going out as well. We're not getting into God, Hashem, Itzi which is actually related to Lecha Hashem Agdullah because 
Those two, the, the one is the Chazan calling the community to say, Lachashem Agdullah. Lachashem Agdullah is a pasuk in Deuteronomy, but it's actually one of the hints to the seven spheros. Gedullah, Gvura, Teferis, Neshachot, right? All those are, that's where spheros are learned out from in the Pesukim. Not for right now, but it is worthwhile also noting um, a few basic points. Shlomi asked a question earlier on, is that how does one get an Aliyah? So the, 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 this, this is something which is important, is that the, when a person is called up to get an Aliyah, when a man is called up to get an Aliyah, the, the halacha is that a person should go the quickest route to get that Aliyah. If it is equidistant to get to, to the Bima, then a person should take the right entrance, right? So a person should take the right entrance. Interesting enough, I don't see people doing this. I see that people will go the long route to go around to the right side. So I'm not always, not always 100% sure about, about, about this, but, uh, but the, way, the way it is, is codified in Lacha. And then, when a person is up there, a person should try to descend the Bima in a, using a different access point, a different um, exit. Why is this? So the, the Sefer Tavim Habin Hagim says this is a, is a reminder of what is said in Yechezkel about the base of English. But Yechezkel is talking about in Perik Mem to Memches, the last chapters of, uh, of, uh, of uh, um, Yechezkel about the third base of English. They said that when a person would enter in gate A, they would leave in gate B. Why was that? So there's a number of explanations, but one is, is that a person should not be ragil, a person should not be habituated, a person shouldn't think, this is my house, this is how I do things. No, you're always seeing things from different vantage points, and we do that by shifting the way we access the enter and, and leave, which is how we do it on the Bima as well, as a, re, as a reflection of this. So typically speaking, enter um, on the one side, coming out on the other side as well. That's the way we, we usually we do things facing the Bima itself. What about standing during Kresatora? Much more complex topic than just on one foot, but it is worthwhile knowing they are different minhagim. So for instance, the, um, the, Ramu, the Ramami Panu um, had, uh, had said that um, um, he, he would say that the following, he says that, that he believes that by Adavar Shebik Dusha, like Tekios and Rosh Hashanah, what do we do? We stand. It's important to stand for the Tekios. He says when we read the Torah, is that any less of, of a, a matter of Kedusha that a person should, should stand for? So he believed that it was important to stand for it. The Arizal, interestingly enough, would sit for the Kriyasa Torah. He would stand for the Brachas and sit for the Kriyasa Torah. Why would he do that? So... Um, the, his, uh, his, his rationale was, it depends on the type of bimmer you have. Now, if anybody's visited Arizal Shul in Svat, there's two of them, uh, <laughs> but if you've visited it, you'll notice something beautiful about the bimmer. And the bimmer is, is, it's got a beautiful fence around it, right? And so that's why the minag in many shuls is, it's not just decorative, and it's not just because you don't want a liability, but it's a, it, it's, you, you have a fence around it which makes it its own rishus, it makes its own domain, which means that when the Torah therefore is over there, it's almost as if it is in a separate space to you, it's an elevated rishus, which means that you can sit because it is not disrespectful for the Torah. So the, the Arizal said, to, to formalize that, I would sit during the Seva of the Kriyasa Torah. It is interesting that that's that, that's Arizal. There are many others who would uh, who um, who would uh, who would who would stand. There's a little bit of a debate which has had is about the question about the Aseres Adibros. We just had Pashas yesterday, and you know that many people make the clap and stand. There were those who said that one shouldn't really be standing just for Aseres Adibros because what that does do is give a credence to saying that you know we believe in these ten, and the rest of the stuff is kind of you know you know optional at times. So that does that's not a very good way of doing things. Which to me personally, in my own personal um, avodah, it took me ten years to get to this point. But uh, after, after re reading that and learning that, that, that fact, that's why I try to stand during the, the Kriyasa Torah. Because if you're really supposed to be standing, but <laughs> you can't stand for us as Odebros, it's like a little intellectual you know, gap you know, so in, our, in, our, in, our, in our practice. So I felt that it's important to do that. So uh, I still try to stand during the Kriyasa Torah because of that. Meaning to say not to um, accentuate one over the other as well. Um, that, that, that's in terms of a little bit of background on this. What's the significance of the Hagba and the Glila of lifting up the Torah? It's worthwhile noting this goes back all the way to the Torah itself. 
Um, we hear about a pasuk in Devarim in Perak Chavzain. The Torah says, "Arar Arar Asher Loik Yakim Es Direi Torah Zos." Last night, the Sam Amar Kol Amamein. If you remember, this is a very interesting thing that happened: is that Bnei Yisrael was split up into two camps, Bar Har Grizim and Har Eval. This is in the area of Shechem. And there were 12 curses and 12 blessings which were, were recited. And everybody said, yes, amen, to, the, to, to all the curses and all the blessings. It's worthwhile, it's looking interesting to find a theme between all those 12, uh, the, uh, sorry, all the blessings and the curses that were mentioned. But the last one is, is cursed or bless, uh, is the person who doesn't uh, establish the Torah. What does it mean to establish the Torah? There are lots of explanations. Says the Ramban on the most basic level. Take a look at this very fascinating Ramban. The Ramban on the Pasuk says at the very end, Says that it's perhaps a, a, a God forbid a chazan who doesn't put the Torah down properly, so it would God forbid fall. That's that's part of the, the horror. But he says, What does this horror slash baruch is a, it is a blessing to lift the Torah in a way that everybody can see the Torah. Everybody has access to the Torah. Everybody should be able to see this. As he quotes the Messiah, He has to turn and hold the Torah to his right and his left so everybody can see the Torah. There's a mitzvah to say, he says to pull out your pinky. No, he doesn't say that. He says to bend down. Okay, so just, I, I'm not sure where the pinky mina came. Well, that's, that's not pointing at the Torah. That's, that's in a certain sense not pointing. What we're doing, but he says the minag is, and this is the, this is the many, many, many points can say, is to bow slightly when one sees the Torah and to try to do this, which means, just out of interest, if the Torah is uh, turning round, one should not say the, the, the Zosar Torah until one actually sees the Pnei Haksav. So if somebody is doing it correctly, which is not always the case, they're supposed to turn to the right side and to the left side, so when it's coming round to you and you see the face of the Ksav, then that's the time that one should bow down and say Zosar Torah. One should not say Zosar Torah to the back, but if one has no alternative because it's one of those very quick jobs, then uh, yes, David. And I haven't found anything on that. Good question. No, no I have not, not found anything. It's, it's respectful. It's a closing of a safer. It's a seum, but I've not found anything. I think you think it does have a makar. Rav Wilson, right? I heard it in a shir. The shushiribu osius Torah, six hundred thousand osius. Technically, it's three hundred, but a variation. We all try to maybe connect. Maybe it's my osius that's there. Right? Oh, very good. So actually, so coming. Very good. Beautiful idea. So actually, there is an idea to try to find. There is an idea to be able to actually see the letters, and it's always possible in a very big place to so do this. But some people, you'll notice, will come forward to do that to read, actually see the letters. There's a value, there's a spiritual value on ourselves of being able to do this. Some even say to find your letter, which is uh, to, to in, the, in the Torah when seeing the, 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 the Hagba. But it is a, and, and so perhaps that's finding a little letter, which is our little piece, and which could be a piece of the letter as well. A, B, yeah. Oh, I was going to say this in a second, yes. Beautiful. By the way, isn't it wonderful to have AB back? Baruch Baruch AB is bringing a little bit of Aravirat Aravi Yisrael back to us as well. But there's, there's more, there's more Minag. Another interesting Minag, which is of differentiation, you'll notice this actually in the Shulchan Aruch. Take a look at the, the, a very interesting differentiation between Ashkenazim and Svaradim. Most Ashkenazim are not aware of this. Svaradim are all aware of this, but Ashkenazim are not aware of this. Well, the Shulchan tells us, Okay, so that this is the Shulchan Aruch says to show the Torah. The Shlomos says, You're supposed to do this after you read the Torah, which implies that when is the Shulchan Aruch talking about? 
Before, which means that if you go to a Sephardi shul, if you go to a Taimani shul, when do they do Hagba? Before you do the Kriyasa Torah. They bring the Torah to the Bema and then they show it to the whole community. This is what we're about to read, folks. Then they put it back down and we read the Torah. That's how it works, as the Shulchan Aruch says. The Ramah says, no, no, we'll do it as a conclusion. Isn't that fascinating? So the end of the Torah is not the big deal. It's the beginning of, this, uh, of, the, of the Kriyasa Torah, which is the big deal. Now, also notice, by the way, to do a Hagba on a Sephardi Sefer Torah is a whole different business than doing it with a, you know, it's a different technique. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, there's, there's the leverage by the, the Ashkenazi Sefer Torah, but the Sephardi Sefer Torah, you're really leaning backwards and holding it open because it's a large case as you turn around. So it's, it takes a little more dexterity in another, in a, in a, in another realm as well. Finally, um, one last point, which I, there's, there is more to talk about, but there isn't the most basic pr prayer that we say on the way of taking the Torah back. But besides those last psukim of Uvunu Choyamar and Eitz Chaimi, which refer to the Torah itself, is we, we do say the David Hashem Mizmar that we have this uh, we have this, this uh, Psalm 24, which is said as we bring the Torah back, except on Shabbos morning when we say Mizmor David. Okay, um, why is that? So it actually has a great significance. It, it, it is very much apropos what we're about to do. Why is this? The Gemara Shabbos Tavlamet tells us, and we'll close with this today. When Shlomo Melech built the base of Midash, so he, finally after all these years and amassing, and it took him how many years to build the base of Midash? Seven. seven years, just over seven years to build the base of Midash. So at the end of this culmination, now they're bringing the Aaron after all these years, the Mishkan has been destroyed, they're bringing it to the, to the Aaron HaKodesh. The gates were unopenable, they could not be accessed. Omar Shlomo Esrim Loinana. So he, uh, he said 24 psalms, it was not answered, so that probably means from the beginning of Tehillim. One, two, three, Ashraish, all the way through, nothing happened. So he turns to the gates and he says, which is part of Psalm 24, oh, gates, lift up your heads and open up, let the let HaKadosh Baruch Hu come in. This is the Aaron, who's going to the Aaron, into the Kadosh HaKadoshim. And uh, they, they ran after him to, to swallow him. Amru, This is a dialogue. He said to the gates, "Who is the Melach They responded, "Hashem is Hashem is the the strong one of uh, uh, the strong one." Vamar, He wasn't answered again. He asked a second time. The gates didn't open. Kevon Shomar Hashem Elokeinu Elokim Al Toshev Penei Mishichecha Zachar Lachaste David Avdecha. Um, that Hashem, please remember the, the face of your Messiah that refers to David Melech, Miyad Nana, the gates opened. And at that moment in time, all those who hated David, their faces turned like the bottom of the pot. That's like, you know, very negative comment. The Gemara says, you know, the, the leftovers. That's an amazing thing. Just think about this for a moment. David Melech sinned, and he sinned publicly, at least, well, whatever the sin was, and the Gomorrah explains the complexity of that sin, um, and did he, chata, not chata, how did it work, but nonetheless, David Melech did an incredible tshuva. But there were people who said that David Melech is not worthy of building the base of Minash, David Melech is no longer worthy of being king, and certainly his child from the union of, with Bathsheba should not be worthy of anything. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose Shlomo Melech, who was the child of David and Bathsheba, and he became king. And all this time, there was still a group of, uh, who were writing op-eds in the local papers saying that David Melech is not worthy of, uh, of, of kingship and that, that David Melech has been ousted. And it, was, it took all these years, and Shlomo Melech, David Melech amassed all, the, all, all, all the, the wherewithal to be able to build the Beis Minash. Shlomo Melech went and amassed his own wherewithal to build the Beis Minash, and he built the Beis Minash. And now this critical point that Aaron is not going in, what is everybody saying? I told you so. 
I told you so. David Melech never made it. David Melech was wiped out. This is the wrong Migdash. Let's go somewhere else. And it was at this point in time, what Shomai Melech was essentially was pleading for was his own self. He was pleading for his own credence. His, uh, am I worthy of existing in a certain sense was what Shomai Melech was pleading for. When the gates opened at that point in time, Sone David, all those who hated David knew that he was forgiven at this point in time because that's how it came full circle. And that's why actually we say at the beginning of Sukkot Zimra, what do we say? Mizmoshir, Chanukah Sabayis to David. This is the Chanukah Sabayis, is the dedication of the house to David. Refers to this moment. What do you mean the Chanukah Sabayis to David? David Melech never, never did uh, see the base of Midash. He, the most he saw was a pile of lumber, right? He never saw the, the base of Midash. So how, how did he dedicate the base of Midash? When Shlomo Melech brought the Aaron in and publicly the gates opened after pleading with them, that was the moment that David Melech retroactively was understood to be doing the dedication to the base of Migdash. So what do we do? We take the Torah back after we read the Torah. We say, Surah Shom Rashechem, and also Pischalom. That's why we bring it back to the Aaron in such a way, in the same way, commemorating that moment of HaKadosh Baruch choosing the line of Mashiach through David, despite complexity, and, um, and, the, and the Ark are coming back. So many different pieces. We left out a few things, but they're just a, just a general um, perspective and overview. Um, what was that? Oh, why do we change the Shabbos? Good question. Good question. I know, I know the, the, why we said the more of the, the Kolos is a, is a good question on Friday night as well. Abayasa, thank you so much for taking the time.